good afternoon to you, and welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. This is the program for the Christian layman, the Lutheran who believes but has questions. And in short, the program's designed for someone just like me. There's a lot I don't understand. Not necessarily something soul-shaking. It might be something that's just been bugging you for a while. And I find that rather than getting into a deep theological discussion, I'm Casual front porch style talk of the pastor is often the best way to understanding. And that's what this program is all about. Today's guest pastor is Bill Swirla of Holy Trinity Lutheran Church out in California. Now, I have my questions, and I'm sure you have yours. So you can send your questions to us by email at any time at letstalk at kfuo.org or call in during the program at area code 314-821-0850 in the St. Louis area, including Metro East, or 1-800-730-2727, anywhere in the lower 48 states. Good day, Bill. Hey, good to be back on the porch, Kip. Yeah, I tell you, it's a lot going on around here. And uh, (laughs) it's fine just to sit back, kick back, get your lemonade or your more adult beverage and... Let your mind too, go too early in the day for the adult beverage. I'll be asleep at three in the afternoon if I do that. So <laughs> oh, not, no, 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 not good, not good. Um, but you know, an iced tea, not sweet tea. Okay, I'm 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 a northerner. Yeah. Well, have you ever have you ever encountered that? You know, you're traveling in the south, you know, and you you know you're kind of doing your thing, and you forget where you are for a moment, and and you grab an iced tea. And it's like, <laughs> you know, you're instantly your blood sugar goes up to 400. <laughs> Fortunately, I never picked up a taste for tea. Oh, I did live in the South for a while. I really enjoyed my time in Alabama. I, I'm 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 a habitual coffee drinker, so I, I, I share that. I, I do pour down a lot of coffee. I, you know, I've gotten to like iced coffee, oddly. I never thought I would. But if, if you have the right coffee brewed in the mm-hmm. right way, and it's the right temperature outside. That can be a very refreshing. Thing. It can be. I, I I do that myself sometimes. But we're going to settle with lemonade. I know you're not on a porch. You're actually like in a glass booth somewhere deep in the bowels of the IC, aren't you? Is that where you are? Well, it is. But I'm looking out on the entrance. So we got this nice statue of CFW uh, Walther standing out front. Wow. Uh, it, occasionally, we decorate him with hats and signs and things. Oh yeah, no, that's good. He's there to be decorated. That's true. So, what are we going to talk about? Well, I'll tell you what we're going to talk about. You're the host. I'm the host. <laughs> now, Bill, you, as as a just as a generally involved person, uh, I'm, <laughs> I've been called many things, but I've never been called a generally involved person. Well, it's the first time for everything. Okay, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll run with it. Go ahead. Okay. Well, I'm sure you follow news and things, and you know I do too. Both as the nature of my job. And also because it's my background and training as as a journalist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am noticing increasingly extremism, I guess, is the word I'm, I'm looking for. I see this word used so frequently in the media, and I see it so frequently on social media where people refer to each other as being horrible things and extremists and... Oh, you know what's happening to people today, uh, you know, and what's happening to my profession. Uh, boy, I yeah. tell you, when I was in J school, oh boy, 
May that, I, that would be journalism school? Yeah, journalism school. school. Okay, I, I'm try, I was trying to just figure Sorry out what that, that meant. Sorry about that. Journalism school. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I was... I, now, when you say, when you say were you, broadcast, were you in uh, audio or audiovisual? Were you radio, television? What were you doing? Oh, yeah, they, well, they did everything. Uh, and, oh, you, oh, did you do TV? Oh, you TV? mean me personally or the school? Yeah. Uh, I've been mostly in radio, although I did, I've done a lot of newspaper and magazine work. And, so, uh, as they say, you have a face for radio, right? I have the face for radio. Yeah, okay. Whenever right. people say, boy, you've got a radio voice, I reply, yeah, I've got the face for it, too. <laughs> I know I know how that is. I, I, share, I share that trait. So. <laughs> but, but, you know, the, the business has so changed since I was in it as an active reporter, as an active journalist. Uh, yeah. I, I remember getting, oh, well, you know, I, 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 would, I would get my my bosses used to say that they never wanted to know how I felt about an issue uh, because of the way I wrote. And I remember doing the same thing when I was in a manager position and I had a staff under me. It was the same thing. You know, I don't care how you feel about a particular issue. Your thoughts don't matter. You are there only to report on what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I don't see that nowadays. I think we're... we're Coming more and more into uh, what used to be known as advocacy journalism. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think we're becoming uh, the society of the preconceived notion. Uh, everybody has preconceptions. Nobody's a blank slate, really. You know, so if I observe something just out in the world, I'm observing it through a lens of my own experiences and and my background, and I'm interpreting what I see. So there's, you know, nobody's entirely objective in in anything. But we 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 have become, I think, a culture of preconceptions. In other words, um, if you tell me, for example, and I'm just going to, you know. This is not trying to push on this this polarity, but if you tell me, for example, you say, well, I generally vote Republican or I'm a conservative, then in in this culture, I automatically know everything I need to know about your opinions. I don't even need to hear. I, I don't I don't need to ask a question. I <clears throat> I don't need to have a conversation because I already know where you're coming from just by that label. See, and 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 I think I think part of it is. Uh, we become intellectually lazy that that uh, a category label is sufficient. So we can say, <clears throat> excuse me, I have something stuck in my throat. Fill in the time. Well, <laughs> I can do that easily. Uh, no, it, it's it's. Uh... It's being aware of who and what you're saying. I know, again, with with the the journalism training that I had, uh, as you pointed out, everybody's got their points of view, uh, but the thing that that was drilled into me over and over again was be aware of your own prejudices exactly your own points of view and don't let it color how you report the story exactly and and that i think is is missing today not just not just missing in quote-unquote journalism or the media but also just in society in general we've become very lazy in our communication with each other so that we just presume that we know what the other is going to say before they even say it. Well, it's worse than that. I think people now are going, uh, well, you know, this is my opinion, therefore it's fact. I'm right, you're wrong, and that's it. The, the other problem uh, that I see is, is that we 
choose to look at issues only from one perspective. That is the perspective we're looking at. And we discount as being utterly false or even evil any other perspective on that issue. So we're failing to kind of walk around the issue. There's an old exercise that they used to do in debate when you're on the debate team Mm -hmm. or you're studying rhetoric or public speaking where you had an issue on the table and then each side would argue for their their position and then the bell would ring and you'd have to switch sides and now the position that you previously argued for you'd have to argue against and it was a great exercise in what i would call perspectival thinking that is taking the other perspective just to see how things look over there before you totally denounce it. Well, we used to do that in journalism school, too. The, what we would do is we'd have to uh, write an editorial on a position that we felt strongly about. Then we were supposed to write another editorial taking the other point of view. It was a very, very good exercise, learning what the other side is thinking and why they're thinking it. And, See, and we suffer we suffer the same thing in the realm of theology. I, I think you're kind of sort of sampling the air in in the political realm and politics and our political speech, but but also in the in theology in, in the in the in the order of the church, uh, we likewise uh, have this very polarized binary A or B mutually exclusive category way of thinking, uh, so that anybody who disagrees with me is a Heretic. Now, a heretic used to be somebody who so denied the central teaching of the church that they could not properly be called Christian. Okay, and <laughs> that you, you really had to you had to work hard to do this. Uh, in, in the early church, there were lots of opinions about everything, and they they were not heretical. Today, we'd we'd I mean we'd we'd be screaming if if somebody held some of the positions that the church fathers did, but they all. They were all within the orbit of the creeds, so they weren't heretics. But today, uh, you just have to, you know, deny anything, uh, any any little thing, and you're a heretic. And and that that's the binary conversation again. You're, it's black or white, right or wrong, good and evil. Well, I, I could see that in, you know, looking at it from a theological point of view. Uh, Especially here with the LCMS, I mean, we've we've gone through our our schisms in the past, uh, and of course, we still have some disagreements today. Yeah, and we have our schisms yet to come. <laughs> yes, we will. <laughs> and we've got a, our, our convention coming up in July. Yeah, that's going to be well, fun. Yeah. I'm going to be down there. See, for that, and that 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 I predict will be an exercise again in binary thinking: the the, the black and white, and in and unable to listen to, entertain, uh, converse with. A differing perspective because it's not mine therefore it's wrong Same. well i'm looking at it from a layman's point of view and i have to stress that i am not a theologian i'm just a layman uh there's hope for you <laughs> i look at uh, the doctrine the lutheran doctrine which which on the whole which which i ascribe to i'm a lutheran no offense or buts but i can see where Somebody might say, well, what does this really mean? You know, not not to say, oh, this is wrong, I reject it. Just, does it really mean this, or does it possibly mean that? You know, especially looking at the Bible, where there was so much that was done in parable. And, I, in fact, I did uh, a show with uh, another pastor not too long ago saying, why didn't Jesus just say it was on his mind? 
<laughs> why didn't he speak plainly? <laughs> well, he, and actually, he, he's, he he says why. He says so that uh, I'm, I'm doing that so that hearing they don't understand. <laughs> they're so smart that I, I'm going to tell them stuff. There's no way they can figure out. You know, they got to they got to become dumb before they become smart again. So he's he's literally emptying their heads, making them teachable. It's it's a it's a great device. Parables are awesome, <laughs> but they do have they do have a lot of room for interpretation. Oh yeah, and, and that's that's where. I'm okay with that. I'm a, yeah. We, we'll sit down. We interpret what this particular thing means. Now, I may not agree with the interpretation, but the thing is that we are not rejecting the basic tenet that is brought out in Scripture. Right, and and you know, there's 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 there are things taught in Scripture that don't really. There's not a lot of interpretation involved, you know. We hold that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Uh, you, you really don't need to wrestle too hard with this to know what it's saying, and and that's what that's where all the what we call the seeds of doctrine, the sedes doctrinae, come from. They are all self-evident, you know. We we don't get our doctrine from parables. Uh, and and, it, and our, the, the kind of the articles of doctrine are rather small. Because most of it is um, kind of fitting it all together. Most of it is is this conversation uh, from the scriptures within the boundaries of doctrine. It's it's not just kind of like piling on one doctrine after another. That's not a, a particularly helpful exercise. No, but, but I've, I've known you know I I have I have heard debate and I think very healthy debate on the role, for example, of good works in terms of Lutheranism. No, why do we do it? Should we do it? What does it mean? And I've I've heard different arguments, and we all agree as Lutherans that it, this is not something that affects our salvation. That comes only through faith uh, by grace through faith. Uh, but why do we? Does this mean that we? I, especially non-Lutherans will say, "Well, that means that you don't have to do anything good." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's 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 wrong. But but for example, I don't think anybody within the Lutheran orbit would would say would truly say that if they knew what the Lutheran orbit was about. Yeah, you know, that we we all agree that good works uh, necessarily flow from faith. We may disagree in terms of what their place is in the constellation of doctrine. You know that that is it here. Is it there? How is it connected? And that's a that's a that's just a, a conversation that the church, the church and theologians have have had since they've had the scriptures. You know, they're they're trying to figure out how it all goes together. And there is a matter of perspective. And sometimes viewing things from multiple perspectives gives you a fuller appreciation for the topic than if you just kind of stick with your own narrow perspective. So that, that's where I would advocate the conversation is actually more important than the conclusion. Well, that's how you learn. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've, I've on, on my Facebook uh, debates, of which I participate, um, I've had people ask, you know, well, why do you do that? Well, this is how I learned. You know, I may not convince anybody, they may not convince me, but I want to learn what they're thinking and why they think that way. See, I, I think we've lost in so many respects, we, we've lost the, the, the ability to have that conversation across a, the, the aisle of a disagreement. Uh, in, in the political order, I, I was just lamenting to a friend of mine that we've lost the thinking conservative. 
there were there were very very thoughtful conservatives that that wrote back in the sixties the seventies the eighties, and even if you disagreed with them, you respected them because the 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 arguments were sound they were reasoned uh, they they didn't attack people they they analyzed the issue at hand, and so there was the possibility for genuine conversation and exchange of ideas and and i don't see a lot of that on 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 both extremes it's a little bit like economics you know we're losing the middle class so you're either like way rich or you're very poor but there's there's like nothing in the middle and and so you talk use the word extreme you're either in one ditch the left ditch or you're in the right ditch and there's nothing in the middle so there's no there's and and middle is viewed as being compromising or wishy-washy or spineless or whatever other thing the they throw at you from the ditches you know uh, and even a willingness to talk or a willingness to understand is considered a sign of weakness today so we we've got in we've gotten into a zero sum game which is i think going to be very destructive to our culture I think you're quite correct on that. Um, I, I disagree with you a little bit on the uh, on the disappearance of the middle class. You're in California, and you've got a completely <laughs> different situation there than we have here in Missouri. Thank, ah, thank that, God. No, that's that's true. But see, there's a perspective too, um, and and one that's 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 a great example of what we're talking about. Everything that I see in the country is lensed through my Western experience, and particularly my California experience, because that's where I live. That's what I see. But if I were to relocate to the Midwest or, or you know, to somewhere else, that would change my perspective. I would see different things and I would interpret them in a slightly different way in terms of American culture. Well, that's true. And it's hard to define what exactly is American culture. Uh, the thing that disturbs me about it is, you know, we used to have the concept of the melting, plot, uh, the melting uh, pot, where this culture would come in and this culture would come in and they blend and they form something completely new now we've got a balkanization uh for one of a, of a better term where you know we don't consider ourselves american per se we consider ourselves latino we consider ourselves african-american we consider ourselves something else uh and there's well you're white well you're brown well you're black well gee you know we're all the same okay come on we're americans you know, which which is fine at some level because um, each you know I'm I'm German I'm Eastern European, and there's a there's a history and and that also defines a little bit of my set of preconceptions too, uh, but it's negating what brings us together, and it's also basically then saying and, and here's where I think we fall into a trap is if you're not that then you have nothing to say about that. So if you're if you're if you're a male, you have nothing to say about women's issues. See, that's a denial that we're human. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're both human. We have that in common. Oh boy, do I run into that argument all the time on social but media? Yeah, but we do that all the time. If you're not if you're not this, then you have nothing to say about this, and that's a fallacy. You you have plenty to say. It'll be from a different perspective. That's true. But that perspective is not false just because it's not yours or just because it comes from somebody who uh, doesn't share the same whatever, the same biological sex, the same background, the same ethnic background, race, however, you know, you're defining that. Because well, that's what, that's what you and I say, but a lot of people out there don't. I mean, they don't. I know. And, and, but that's a way to shut down the conversation. 
See, because it is basically saying, okay, here's our issue A, and I'm the only one qualified to speak on this issue. And you say, well, wait, wait a minute. I have a, and I say, no, you have nothing to say about that. You, you don't even have a place at the podium because you are not what I am. And that is very, very dangerous to our society. Well, it's the end of society because society is an ongoing exchange of ideas and an ongoing integration of vocations. And it's really a series of, of complementary things uh, where we are, where, you know, this, this is a symphony of soloists at that point. <laughs> that's a great phrase. I'm going to have to yeah. remember that uh, one. That's, that's, that's what we become. And, and soloists and without a conductor. So we're all marching to our own uh, beat, playing our own melody. And you know what that would be if that were a symphony. That would be either a Philip Glass composition or just plain noise. And I can't sometimes tell the difference between the two. Yeah, I hear that. <laughs> but, you know, it, one of the things I, I like, uh, and I think maybe this is a Christian trait more than more than just Lutheran, uh, but I can, for example, go up to a pastor and say, I don't quite see it this way. This is what I'm thinking about. And he's not going to say, gee, I can't have an opinion. He might say, you're wrong, and here's why. But... He won't. Uh, he won't say I don't have an opinion. I mean, I've even had some discussions with uh, with Catholic priests. Uh, you know, obviously we don't share the same religion, but it's the same thing. They may say, "Well, we think you're wrong, but here's why," or I can say to them, "I think you're wrong, and here's why," and we have a very civil discussion. Sure, and you could even probe that with a question. So you can say, and we're just speaking in generalities, but you, you could say. Well, if if you think this, then how does this connect with that? You know, because there's there's always other things attached to it. So if you if you believe that you are justified before God by your works, then how do you handle Paul's treatment in Romans three when he says we're justified before God by faith apart from works? And there's going to be an answer, and then we can kind of see how that answer holds. And sometimes, you know, when you do that, you realize you have been mishearing, talking past each other. Uh, you've been using terms defined in a different way. You know, in our confessions, we have the, the formula of concord, which is really, a, that, that's an interesting name for confessional doctor, uh, document, a formula for concord, how to get along when you die, or how to figure out uh, how, to, how to work through your disagreements. It's a formula for concord. And the first step in that formula for concord is define your terms. Talk, you know, be clear about define the issue and define your terms and then be able to state what the one party says and what the other party says and figure out where they're both right and figure out where they're both wrong. <laughs> you know, this would be, can you imagine? I mean, a conversation like this on anything? Not today, not in not this even society. sports. You know, I mean, you can't even do it in sports. One <laughs> of my one of my professors, Dr. Norman Nagel who's still alive and, and maybe even hearing this, I don't know. Yeah, he's definitely things, still alive. One of the things he taught us was that even, even with some of the worst theologians in the history of the church, you have to say what is right before you say what is wrong. Or as he would put it, always read things in two lights, the best light and the worst light. And if all you came back with was critical negativity, uh, it wouldn't go so well on the on the grade for that paper because you failed 
to read it in the best light. You fail to try to understand why this person is coming from the perspective they are. Sometimes it's contextual. They're saying this because they're they're in the heat of battle and they're 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 engaged in something and you're not you're sitting there in the comfort of your own easy chair and you don't see it you don't you don't see why this person is saying that so that was an exercise that I was taught as always view things in their best and and before before you go to the worst light view it in the best light. Okay, well we got more to talk about that, but you know it's the bottom of the hour. Bottom and, of the hour, and they tell me I got to take a break. And I can't negotiate that. Pastor Ken Bomberger, join me weekday mornings at 7.15 for Oratio, your time of scripture, meditation, and music on KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. For years on Sunday mornings, worldwide KFUO has been broadcasting live worship services for those unable to attend worship or for those who enjoy hearing God's word. This Sunday, our 8.15 a.m. worship comes from Ascension Lutheran Church in St. Louis, Missouri with presiding pastor Reverend Matt Clark. Our 10.45 worship comes from Hope Lutheran Church in St. Anne, Missouri with presiding pastor Reverend Timothy Ostermeyer. Join us on Sunday mornings on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson. You know, life is a potpourri of good experiences and really tough challenges. Through all those times you need, and so do I, the Lord's precious word and sacred music to get you through. That's what you get when you tune in to Moments of Assurance, Christ-centered songs, scripture, news items, trivia, humor, you name it. So tune in. You'll be richer for it over the noontime hour here on Worldwide KFUO. Moments of Assurance is underwritten by Mid-American Coaches. You hear our voices every day as we speak the gospel, share the latest news, or for insightful and sometimes entertaining talk. Why not share your voice with us and send us your feedback, suggestions, and questions? Leave your comment at 314-996-1542. Be sure to follow us on social media, too, so you can like, comment, and share your favorite posts. Drop an email to KFUO at KFUO.org or send a snail mail letter to Worldwide KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of a creed, a concise formulation of belief, and a rich tradition found throughout the Bible. An ancient Israelite creed was the Shema of Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. Early Christians formed creeds about Jesus. One is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 7, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve, an early understanding of Jesus' life. A creed isn't meant to replace the Bible, but to give focus to the beliefs found in the Bible. The resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Amen. 
brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Well, good afternoon and welcome back to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. Guest pastor today is Bill Swirla from, from Holy Trinity Church in Hacienda Heights, California. We are discussing about how language is affecting what we think and how we're becoming separated and how media is playing a role into that. If you have some thoughts on that, you can let us know at at uh, Let's Talk at KFUO.org or call in. If you're in St. Louis, Harry code 314-8210-850 or in the lower 48, you can call us at 1-800-730-2727. You know, Bill, one thing, uh, this is language as a whole, but this is another lesson that I got in journalism school was that adjectives and adverbs are not your friend. <laughs> Yeah, adjectives. Uh, I think Eugene Peterson says adjectives are an indication of a noun gone weak. <laughs> but it always puts a modifier. With, I remember one of my professors just jumped on my throat on this thing. I wrote a, uh, I was writing a, a story about a homicide, and I used the phrase "brutally murdered," and he just lit into me. Well, what do you mean brutally murdered? What did you expect? He was artfully murdered. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I, I I have a kind of an ear for language, and and I always I, I get distracted by that. I, I just mm. start uh, one of my one of my favorites, and it, it doesn't quite fit into what you're saying, but it's it, these are things that don't make sense. Um, we, we're frequently entertained by these uh, high speed chases on the on the freeway. It's a form of entertainment in in the L.A. area. Uh, and it'll completely displace the entire news broadcast. It will. And but but they always the 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 car or van or whatever is fleeing the police is always traveling at a high rate of speed. And this this makes me crazy because speed is rate. <laughs> so it could be traveling at a high rate, a high speed, but a high rate of speed really make yeah, this, that's a, that's a redundancy. But it's 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 silly. And and I, I'm always so. Which is it, rate or speed? Is is it a high rate, a high speed? I don't understand. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh yeah, there there are always those things on it. And now it, where where my ear perks up, and this is pertinent to your observation that we become a society of extremes, is the extreme language with which the news is introduced. Oh yeah. Notice notice how everything is now breaking news. Uh, well, well, it goes it, even more than that. Well, no, it, but but uh, but there's, and there are more. But 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 uh, every lead story every night on the nightly news is breaking news. Now I've been reading about it for at least um, twelve to twenty four hours on the internet. But it's breaking news on on the on the the local on the TV, and everything is a firestorm of outrage. Now that I like. You know, a firestorm of outrage, really? You know, so, so like, like the president got in a snit over, over, you know, the Democrats constantly investigating him. So he walks out of a meeting and this prompts a firestorm of outrage. What have all of our circuit breakers kind of gone bad or something? Or have we gone insane? Are our politicians off their medications? They probably are. But if, you know, little things like that, provoke a firestorm of outrage um i can't imagine what like you know world global conflict would cause <laughs> i don't even want to think about that but no I, you're, we may you're find out yeah, i don't know we but. may no but you're absolutely right i mean i i 
Well, Get, I'm, getting I'm relatively right. I won't claim absolute on this. Okay, see, there's. Oh, well, that's really there, nice of you. There's an adverb, and and it's it's betraying <laughs> you. I'm never absolutely right. I'm sort of right mostly. Oh, okay. The, mostly is an adverb. Yeah, well, I know, but I'm, it's countering your absolutes. You know, <laughs> okay. I'm, I can't bear the burden of being absolutely <laughs> right. <laughs> I like being generally right. Oh, See, you, okay. need, you need adverbs. You you need these. <laughs> well, to an extent, <laughs> but you know, for example, I, I it, we've been seeing uh, a whole bunch of legislation being passed lately on states regarding abortion. New York on one side, Missouri on another, and the headlines are always: this has been this extreme law or this controversial law. Who is making that judgment call? You know, it, it may well be controversial or extreme in my mind or somebody else's mind, but darn it, that's not the journalist's job to point it out. Well, even, and it's, it is controversial. There's no, no question about it, but it's controversial on both sides. When, when states pass laws that uh, make uh, late third trimester abortions legal, uh, that's controversial too, but they're never called that. Uh, being highly restrictive of abortion is very controversial, but being utterly open about it, that's, that's, that's not controversial at all. That's just, I guess, in the mind of the media, it's common sense or it's the, the right thing to do. But it is, you, you'd have to be crazy to, to deny that it's a controversial issue. Well, and I, I think that issue, by the way, that issue illustrates your point. Because look what happens. Uh, so we get these, this, this, these raft of laws that make it increasingly easier and, and later and later and later in the pregnancy of the woman to, to, to conduct a legal abortion. I mean, I'm just waiting for them to go beyond birth. Um, and so that's, that's the extreme on the one side. And so the other side counters with an absolute prohibition. And so, so, and that's what that's where we're at right now. That pendulum is is just swinging way back and forth, and just courting the Supreme Court to step in and rule. So it's going to be interesting to see where that goes. Yeah, I think eventually it's going to have to. But it, you know, as you pointed out, you know, some arguments sometimes it's a non-sum game, uh, and I, I th- a zero-sum game. And I I think abortion is one of those. Uh, we we look at it; it's either right or it's wrong. Uh, it's it's either the mother's body or it's not. It's an independent life. Abortion is either for the mother's life or the abortion is either killing. Uh, That's true. But but if you look, let's take let's let's step to a, a near tangent and look at murder. Okay. So so in in the the, the in the church, murder is murder is murder. Uh, you know, thou shalt not murder. It's it's it, that it's pretty black and white. But the church usually deals with black and white. Um, you know, it's either sin or it's of God. It, it, but, um, but in in the the political order, there are sh- there are nuances to murder. There's first, second, and third degree. There's manslaughter. There's involuntary manslaughter. Uh, the end result is the same. Somebody killed somebody else, but the circumstances around that are taken into account, and that then. Uh, you know, it, it, it basically dictates what sort of punishments are attached to it. So in, in the political order, we do that. We do that with theft. You know, in the church, it's thou shalt not steal. 
Uh, but in society, there's there's burglary, armed robbery, petty theft. Uh, there's felonies. There's misdemeanor. There's you know, and it it all depends on the circumstances and and the attend the attendant circumstances and the the nuances and the facts of the particular case. So oh, I agree. We do that. We do that, and that's because this is a fallen world. And uh, the the political order is a relatively blunt instrument. It's it's not surgical steel. It it does not separate, uh, you know, joint and marrow in the words of the Bible. And so we're we there's always a, an element. There will always be uh, something we don't like. Something that that gets through that slips through the cracks because that's just how it is in in the legislation of of the political order not so in the church no loopholes no exceptions no nothing sin and grace law and gospel doesn't get more binary than that well i remember uh, again in journalism school uh there was the the argument about homicide i remember one of the one of the students had written about a homicide and uh the professor said something effective is it a crime well yeah homicide's murder uh no Homicide simply means death at the hands of another. It could be ah, accidental. It I could like be yes. self-defense. Things like that. So it, it's a way that the word can be misused. Yeah, but see, th- that requires, th- that what you just said, that requires the ability to walk around the whole issue. In this case, there's a body. Somebody's mm-hmm. dead. Somebody killed that person. This person did not just drop dead of their own accord. Okay, so, uh, but we have to walk around the whole case. We have to ask questions. We oh, have yeah. to we have to make little judgments along the way, and and that's the way that civil society operates. And yeah, there are sometimes compromises. There are sometimes cases where people literally get away with murder mm-hmm. because we can't prove it to the degree of proof that's required in in a society that presumes that you're innocent before you're convicted see and and that's fine you have to accept that again blunt instrument it's 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 uh it's it's man's attempt to do some justice to good and evil to you know mitigate the effects of evil to promote the good and this is a gift of god but it's temporal this yeah. is not not the same as God's bar of justice, but we're not God either. So. Well, well, unfortunately, I think we're seeing more. Well, we'll have we'll have the hanging after the fair trial. <laughs> well, we've got a caller on the line. We have Cheryl from Indianapolis who wants to make a comment about abortion. Cheryl, welcome aboard. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Well, thank you for joining us on the front porch. Yeah, I'm calling because I was reading an online journal. Um, there, it was published by some pastors in our synod, and they were a couple of them were arguing in favor of abortion. Really? And so, um, I I made some comments in, in, on the article, and, um, and then I I got a response from the the one pastor, and he said that when Jesus said uh, love one another as I have loved you that he was enabling enabling us to violate the letter of the law of thou shalt not kill when it comes to abortion and so I'm like I'm reading this and 
I'm thinking, okay, is the one that's being aborted not one for whom Christ died? If you're a Christian pastor, how can you not recognize that this one that lives in the womb is precious to the Lord? And I just, I'm trying to respond in a a civil way to this, but it's really upsetting to me. <laughs> Bill, you've probably got a, a better take on this than I do, because I, I have a bad temper and a big mouth. <laughs> so. I, I appreciate the civility. Um, th- that argument th- doesn't work. That That's just that's just a totally fallacious argument. Um, the uh, the command to love one another uh, extends both to the mother of the child and the child she carries. Uh, there's no way, in 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 my thinking, there there is no way out of the Christian tradition, out of the Old Testament, the New Testament, the words of Jesus, the extended Christian tradition, that one can justify abortion. It 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 cannot be justified, especially in view of the incarnation of our Lord, who didn't simply appear. Uh, you know, as a 30-year-old man at the banks of the Jordan, but took residence in the virgin's womb and basically embraced our humanity from conception to death and burial. There, there's just no way. Um, that said, um, going back to the words of Jesus and the command to love even enemies, um, it, it, it calls for compassion on all fronts, that we have to be compassionate toward the the woman who is pregnant and doesn't want to be, uh, the woman who is raped or the victim of incest and is pregnant because of that. Uh, we have to take those things into account. We have to think about these things and pray about them and talk about them. Uh, we can't just, issuing blanket statements is not, is not loving either. Um, that's why in our church, when we pray, you know, it's kind of my, my preface for the birthday prayer. We, we pray for, um, the unborn and the mothers who carry them, that they would be under God's almighty protection and that he would bring both, bring both mother and child in safety through childbirth, wherever they are, whoever they are, uh, under whatever circumstances they happen to be. Um, you know, and that's, 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 that's the starting point for our conversation. But as I said, the, the command to love means to to step into the the shoes of the the pregnant teenager or or you know the woman who's pregnant against her will um and i'm not advocating for abortion even under those circumstances but at least to acknowledge that there are some extreme situations that exist that we at the very least have to express compassion and understanding toward oh certainly not certainly uh, we've got and that's to- where sometimes the rhetoric ma- rhetoric always matters. How you say what you say is as important as what you say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just read a little booklet. I won't talk about the topic, but I just read a little booklet on a controversial issue, and I agreed with everything that the booklet said. But the tone was so snarky, so self confident, so demeaning that I couldn't endorse it. Because it's it's like, really, you know, have you ever thought about what it's like to be in the position that you are, you know, speaking against? Have you ever been in a position like that? And and so I, I think it tempers it tempers how we say uh, what we say, too. And, and, and I think it has to express the compassionate heart of God in Christ 
um, across the board. But there's no way you can ignore the life of the unborn child. There is no way. I can't. I I can't see. <laughs> and I'm pretty. Good, I'm pretty good at, at at looking at all possible interpretations of scripture text. I can't. There's no way. There's nothing. I got nothing on that one. Well, I I have to confess. At one point in my life, I was on the other side. And what changed my mind was just listening to the arguments on the other side and on on the pro-life side and looking at the evidence. And I came to the conclusion that I was wrong. You know, my my argument used to be, well, you know, I don't know when human life begins. I'll leave that up to God. Wait a minute. I had to examine it. I had to look at it. You know, there's a good example of of a presupposition, but we have to have them. Let's be honest. We don't know when human life begins. Uh -uh. Wait, wait, wait. Hear me through. We're not God. Okay, it, it, this, it, you know, it, we can say, oh, you know, when sperm and egg meet. Well, not all, you know, large percentages of those don't make it. Okay, and, and the, there's a mystery. There's a mystery to human life. Uh, even the first human life, you know, the spoken of in the Bible, you know, that God breathed into Adam's clay and man became a living being, whatever on earth that means. But but that's the problem. The minute we start definitively saying, "Aha, it's this. Aha, it's that," uh, we're we're usurping the place of God. And this is this is the horror of all of this is that we're playing God to the nth degree. For that matter, you know, I like to say I don't really know when life ends. I know when the doctor says time of death is blah blah blah. But that's his opinion. Yeah. I still, you know, I have been there when people died, and I've been there when doctors have declared them medically dead, and then I pray with them, because I, I don't, I don't know, I'm, I'm not privy to these mysteries. So here's the thing, I agree with you that it, it's, it's the best, safest presupposition to say life begins at conception because, biologically speaking, if it's conceived, it's destined to be born. And and it's human from the outset. It's not it's not in doubt as to what's going to be born when it's conceived. Yeah. When yeah. I hear people say, "Well, it's just like another fingernail or part of my body," but you, it's got its own DNA. <laughs> it's, you know? Sorry, it's, that's scientific. And, and it's not a parasite. There's another you know. There's another word I've seen. It's a parasite. No, parasites a different species. Sorry, uh, that's same species, and it's in you <laughs> for a reason. Uh, and and this is uh, this is a great example of how the language is so important. Mm-hmm. And and we have to become. I think we have to become. Um, you know, experts in rhetoric and syntax and grammar and pay attention to the words that we use and the weight that they carry because uh, he who controls the language controls the narrative Uh. and and gets to frame the arguments. And I'm afraid that we in the church have been sucker punched many, many times by taking up the language of those with whom we disagree. See, and and we got to be more careful with that because they're framing the issue. See, one of the one of the great frames, you know, the right, the right to choose. You know, I'm sorry, but any right, any human right, first of all, it's a political thing. There are no rights in the church. You don't have rights. They're gifts, but they're no rights. Um, but any right is based on the most fundamental rights. That is the right to live. The right, the the right to to live as a creature of God under God. 
Um, and, and so you can't even begin to talk about the right to cross the street or the right of free speech if you can't defend the right to life across the board. It's a fundamental human right. I'm speaking politically, not theologically. As you pointed out, we have no rights theologically, only gifts. No, 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 no. And it's a big mistake sometimes. You know, sometimes our theologians have slipped into the language of rights. That's a, that's a political way of speaking. Yeah. In, the, in the church, we are poor, miserable sinners granted gifts by the grace of God. We deserve none of it. Well, again, we, we're looking at how the language is used. And, and again, I'm going to point to my, my profession, journalism, here. There was an article in the local newspaper here that caught my attention in a negative way. Uh, <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> it happens, son. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. I'm really interested, but in a negative way. <laughs> okay. Well, what had happened was the, uh, the newspaper, it was on the uh, new law that Missouri has passed on abortion. And the law, the uh, article was interviewing a, uh, uh, an attorney who said that, in his opinion, it meant that women were going to be prosecuted for abortion. However, they didn't quote the language of the law that specifically prohibits prosecution of women being of, of women who have had abortions. You know, I, it's okay for them to quote the, the professor, but why give it that kind of significance when the law specifically says it's not going to happen? See, that was e bad journalism. There's either of two possibilities: either they're liars or they're lazy. Take your pick. Either they know that's not the law and they're misrepresenting it, then they're liars. Or they're lazy. They, they already know what this kind of legislation is going to do, what its consequences intended and unintended are. And without even reading it, they have opinions. That happens all the time. And that is so wrong. Again, with, with going back to journalism, turn it, you know, <laughs> and know I, what I, you're I, writing about. <laughs> I'll say it because I know the audience. It, it happens too often amongst good Christian conservative people. You know, the, the, us too. We do that. And, and you know, it's, it's one of those little paradoxes of life that the thing you deplore in the other person is at work in you too. You know, something about the speck in your brother's eye and the beam in your own. It's made of the same wood. And so that lazy, intel that lazy intellect, that preconceived prejudicial way of thinking, it works in us too. So what's step one? Don't do it. Take a breath. Think. Listen. You know, read the thing. <laughs> Re you know, if you're going to react against the law, liberal or conservative, I don't yeah. care where it comes from. See, in my neck of the woods in California, I'm deeply concerned because we're we're on the opposite side of the things. Uh, the you know, talk about extreme. They the, here we will look at anything and take the anything on the right and take the most extreme opposite position just to take the opposite position. And that's that's a bad that's a bad starting point. Well, you know, I spent thirty years of my life out in California. <laughs> it's it, you know, it, it's I it's, know what you're talking about, it's, and it's it's getting worse and worse all the time. I I, I try to I try to be, a, a you know, and I was educated to be. I went to the University of Chicago. I, I was educated to be a, a a free thinker. That is, I'm free to think. That doesn't mean I agree with everything I think. And it doesn't mean that I agree with every perspective that I look at and may even at times advocate, not advocate for, but I can speak on its behalf just to see if I understand it. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. 
but it's 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 hard here. <laughs> it's getting you know. It's almost like you fall into default thinking. You know, if California does it, it must be wrong. Uh, and that's really that's a shame. It shouldn't be that way. We shouldn't we shouldn't be operating with this kind of uh, legislation by antithesis. See, that's as bad as theology by antithesis. We're like Lutherans. We're not Roman Catholics. That's not good enough. <laughs> They're right a lot of times, okay? So, you know, that's not good enough. It's not good enough to know what you're against. You have to know what you're for. A- Amen. And why a- you're for it. Yes. And, and, and be able to um, articulate it in a way that's respectful of the other. I would, I would add, even when the other's not respectful of you. It's got to start somewhere. And, and it, you, you can't just say it's got to start with you. The other guy's got to stop doing that. We have to, I think, you know, extend that, for, make that first step and keep making that first step. Even when, when we're being yelled at in the face and called names and, and that I think we're, Big enough, grown up enough, confident enough to just to just you know wait wait till the temper tantrum dies down and let's let's talk like adults again. Well, I hope you've noticed somebody's got to be the adult in the room. <laughs> well, I hope you've noticed how calm I am in my Facebook retorts. <laughs> You're getting better. <laughs> I, I watch you every once in a while. <laughs> In well, fact, I, I would say, you know, now that you mentioned it, I think social media is, is, that's the nuclear fuel for this because I think it encourages uh, binary, polarized, tribal, zero-sum thinking. I, I think it's just made for that. Well, it, it could be, but it, it, there's some interesting aspects to it. I remember, uh, again, in the Facebook discussions, there was one fellow who, had inquired of uh, one of the fellows I've been arguing with off and on, saying, who is this Kip Allen guy? You know, what does he do? And uh, my adversary in this went on and talked about why why he thinks I'm wrong, but he said, but he's almost always civil. <laughs> well, that's good. That's a compliment. So that's, I, I that's, took it that way. I took that, it that way. That's, that's nice. At its best, I think it's a, it's a good kind of place to test out ideas. But I think the problem is, unlike, say, the conversation around a meal or, you know, at a, at, a, at a table somewhere, you can't see the other person, so you can't see the impact of your words. No, you can't. And so you're, you're operating, just operating at the raw written text level, I think, encourages a kind of behavior that we probably wouldn't do face-to-face or probably shouldn't do. So that's, that's, where, that's where the caution comes in. I've been guilty of a lot of that. I'm kind of withdrawing personally from a lot of it because it's just not good for me. It, it it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't help me to to be more Christ-like in my interactions with people. Well, Bill, we're running out of time here. I'm afraid we. Uh, I want to thank cool. you. Cool. For- we we always burn the time, don't we? <laughs> we do. We do. Do we ever get anywhere in these conversations? Well, I think we confuse people. Oh, I didn't want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I confuse people, but that's okay. I want people to think. Well, heck, I, I confuse myself. I'm not think even sure I agree with myself half the time. But Yeah, well, that's, yeah. I, the older you get, the more that's the case. You know, I was um, talking to one of, the, uh, one of the pastors here, and I said, you know, why is it that the older I get, the less I understand? And he looked at me and said, because you're getting wise. That's right. <laughs> you, you, ha- you are achieving wisdom.
Yes. Well, thank you very much. Wisdom Bill. is when you you know you've acquired it when you say I don't know anything at all. <laughs> I know nothing. I'm going to do a Sergeant Schultz here. You've been listening to The Pastor Is In, a weekly chance to chat with the pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting. The Pastor is in on Worldwide KFUO.